0: Welcome to Outside the Tank, the first podcast in the world that interviews the entrepreneurs featured on Shark Tank. We get the inside scoop on how they got there, what lessons they learned. Their biggest regrets, what didn't air on TV, what has happened to them since, and so much more. Prepare to be informed, inspired, and entertained. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. I'm Tom, that's Joe, and we're your co-hosts. Ready to go with Evan De La Hante. Peaceful Fruits. He goes into the tank asking $75,000 for 20%. This is Season 8, Episode 16, so we're February 10th of 2017. They're healthy fruit snacks. I love fruit snacks. Who doesn't like fruit snacks?
1: I have them right after pizza. Pizza, fruit snacks. Oh, okay. <laughs> kind of like a dessert. Dessert fruit snacks.
0: <laughs> so... 85 cents wholesale, retailing for $1.25 to $1.50 that they're selling to retail. Um, twenty thousand in lifetime sales, and at the time of airing, he had or at the time of, of filming, he had just gotten a trial with Whole Foods. Yep. It did he had a Kickstarter, uh, I think And he- Giant Eagle. I was I I couldn't remember. I said GE. What's G E? Oh yeah, Giant Eagle. Dummy. That's where (laughs) I grew up. Giant Eagle, based in Pittsburgh. Really? Oh yeah, their headquarters right right around the corner from where I grew up. Never heard of them.
1: I'm a Dodger fan. I'm from L.A. Okay. No Giant 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 Eagle's a a,
0: a (laughs) wonderful grocery chain.
1: Ah, yes. We had the A and P growing up.
0: My grandfather used to work at the A and P in Pittsburgh. Okay. How about that?
1: Well, that proves Atlantic and
0: Pacific. That proves out their name. Good branding. Yeah, I'd always hear about the A and P. A and P. Didn't don't make them like they used to. And <laughs> hear all about the stores. We were so sad when
1: they when they took a bulldozer to our A and P. We were so sad.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's my my grandfather's, I believe, first job. Hmm. All right. So where you was your first gotten, job? My first job, I uh, I worked at a swim club. I did maintenance. Oh, okay. I did like the landscaping and stuff like that. Now, that was my first job. Did you take the baby Ruth bars out of the pool too? (laughs) Did that when I was a lifeguard, actually. So I worked my way up to snack bar and then lifeguard. But, you know, look, I had a summer job, worked hard. Now, the other thing I did, okay, to make money, and I made more money doing this, I sold stuff on eBay. Very very early days of eBay. So that was my first wow. entrepreneurial. Wow. First thing I ever did was was actually entrepreneurial um, Yeah, and it was what I what I was selling was illegal What were you selling? I was I recorded every episode of Saved by the Bell <laughs> I re- Listen to this I removed all the commercials using a double VCR. Yeah, I spliced them all together in order yeah. And then I'd make copies. And you did this... And this is before, like, box sets of DVDs. This so, is in Pittsburgh, right? This is in Pittsburgh. So double you were B-scar. really a Pittsburgh pirate. Yeah. <laughs> one one at a time. Okay, well, you you'd yeah. put a tape right. in. You'd record it for six hours. Right. You'd duplicate it. I'd label them all. I'd sell them on eBay as a box set. Uh, I'm calling the
1: FBI. And no, no, no. I, I, got,
0: I got a cease and desist. Oh, you after, did? After years, <laughs> after, years, after years of doing this, the studio said, you guys stop. Oh so God. I stopped. Oh, I had a good run doing those. Wow! And it was and it was a very high margin business because my grandfather gave me the tapes. So he'd come in with stacks of tapes when they were on sale yeah. at Giant Eagle, right? Okay, and then my mom would ship them out to whoever bought them. For so I didn't, I had no expense. That's crazy. Oh yeah,
1: <laughs> I mean, I
0: made a lot of money. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I learned how eBay worked and selling and everything else. You're
1: lucky he didn't wind up in juvie. <laughs> <laughs> <I know.
0: laughs> Could you imagine? I, I would have, I wouldn't have done well in juvie. <laughs>
1: I, there's about there's about five things I want to say now that I can't. No, <laughs> don't. <laughs> All right. My, my first job, flipping hamburgers at the Tasty Freeze on the corner. Nice. 15 years old. Actually, uh, 14. I told him I was 15. <laughs> so, yeah. flipping hamburgers. So, uh, what happened here?
0: Robert, out. And he said he invested in a competitor. Yes. That's why he was out.
1: Yeah. Uh, Lori felt like it, the competition in the area was just a bit much for. Her. Uh, Cuban uh, thought there was too much risk. Um, Mr. Wonderful, too small. Uh, and then Damon had no interest, so he didn't get a deal in the tank.
0: You know, they, they don't seem enthused about food, frozen goods, Food, yeah. beverages. I mean, it just seems like those are some things that it's, you know, again, if you're an entrepreneur that wants to go on the show, those products just seem to be really tough.
1: It, it, the branding has to be really, really sharp. It has to be, there has to be some kind of differentiator to, to gain their interest.
0: Yeah, and you probably already have to have some big accounts and some distribution. Yeah. Um, and You've got got
1: to wow with some big revenue figures. Yeah.
0: I think just having a great product isn't enough, again, in that space. Really interesting. So uh, let's go to our interview with Evan. Great interview, great entrepreneur. And then afterwards, we'll uh, share what we learned. Absolutely. All right. We are here with Evan Delahanty, Peaceful Fruits, Season 8, Episode 16. Evan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Well, we are uh, really excited to talk to you. You know, there obviously, you have a, an interesting backstory, and due to the magic of editing, we got just tiny little snippets of it. So, uh, looking forward to really hearing how the business came to be. And obviously, being that the show aired four years ago now, there's probably a lot of updates and, and exciting stuff that's happened. So, let's start at the beginning. Where did the idea of Peaceful Cruise come from?
2: Yeah, it's been a, a wild ride. You know, when I, for instance, I started the company, and especially since uh, Shark Tank. And the company really started with my Peace Corps service uh, there in the Amazon rainforest. You know, I had been in private industry, you know, you know working out there, and I really took, a, took a, a sharp turn and moved into more of the public service and international development work through my time in the Peace Corps um, and was working with a, a Sort of very remote tribe in the interior of a little country called Suriname, deep in the Amazon rainforest, and really working on uh, community economic development that empowered the locals to uh, improve their standard of living. And after two years down there, you know that was the the Peace Corps stint is a, is usually a two year um, a two year commitment. And I wanted to bring that same philosophy and that same approach back to America as I moved on to the next step in my career and sort of find a middle ground between you know, previous straight for-profit, regular you know, business kind of stuff and the more nonprofit um, you know, development side that I experienced in the Peace Corps. And so that's where the idea for Peaceful Fruits was born was to really connect the Amazon to America and to connect the idea of for-profit and mission-based into one concept. And, uh, you know, I really started from those philosophical underpinnings. And then from there, I sort of sat down and, and started to, to figure out what the right business opportunity was to take a swing at. And little by little, I honed in on making delicious fair trade mission-based fruit snacks.
1: What, I'm curious, uh, Evan, what, while you were down there for that period of time, what was the biggest shift, one or two philosophies or values that changed in your mind? What, what did you take away from that philosophically that made you start really acting differently and behaving differently in the private sector, free enterprise system?
2: Yeah, I, I think there's really two big things that I, that I took away from that, right? Uh, and the first one is very simple. It's that people are people. You know, it, it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, you know, all of those things. Yeah, there's different, there's d- different frosting on the cake, but inside there, you know, we're more similar than we are different. Um, and that means that if you can tap into some of those universal things that people are all about, you know, family and community and, uh, you know, feeling good about themselves at the end of a hard day, uh, if you can tap into those, then you're going to be able to do good things. Um, and that, that, that was what really struck me is you know, across all of the cultural barriers, the language barriers, you know, wearing a loincloth in 90 degree weather in a, in a thatch roof hut, <laughs> thousand miles from home, you know, people are still people. If you can, you know, zoom out on the one hand and zoom in on the other hand, enough to see those similarities. Um, and so that was one big takeaway that I think really impacted the way that I wanted to structure my business. And just you know, my future career, my life, everything was to look for those commonalities, look for the things that unite us, um, because they're all they're always there if you're if you're willing to take a breath and 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 look for them, and if you can mirror those back to people, then you're going to find success. Um, so that that was one big lesson. The, the people are people. The, the the second thing that I re- I really took away from it is, and it's building on that point it's that you have to meet people where they are you can't do you know the, the real work the hard work of building success whether that's in international aid or business or anywhere else you know it, it's it's the opposite of the good old field of dreams right if you build it they will come no sir that's not how, that's just not how it works <laughs> you have to meet people where they are and respect their point of view often you know you can disagree you can you can not understand it you can, you know, all, all of those things, but you have to listen first and figure out where they are, why they're there from their perspective, and then figure out how to, how to meet them, you know, at least halfway. Um, and that's, you know, whether it's, again, whether it's marketing, whether it's development projects, you know, whatever it is you're trying to achieve, you have to understand and respect their position before you can sell them something, you know, literally or figuratively, that's adjacent to that position. And, you know, that started for me really in the Peace Corps where I was doing projects, you know, where that's the amazing thing about the Peace Corps is that you're there to do development work, but your very first assignment as a Peace Corps volunteer is to be a good neighbor. And literally that's what makes Peace Corps different from a lot of these other aid organizations is that you're there in one place for two years and the first three months of, of your service, of your, of your, your work tour, is don't do any projects you know don't write any grants don't you know don't don't open a spreadsheet become part of your community become a good neighbor and learn from the inside out what their priorities are what their problems are, what their solutions are and you know by the end of those three months you'll probably have a pretty good idea of how you can be most useful to that community um, And I think you have to take that approach to any, any obstacle, any solution that you're trying to offer to a group of people, it's gotta, it's gotta start organically.
1: You know, I love that philosophy and I, I believe that your message would be a very strong message for many in elected uh, political roles and the media right <laughs> now. <laughs>
2: well, you can, you can go back to earlier podcasts. I've, I've been on that soapbox for a while. Uh, you know, obviously leavened with the, uh, the perspective of, of additional years and additional miles, but it's always been my soapbox. So the, the one, the only, the original right here.
0: <laughs> well, and I, I think that lesson applies. I mean, if, if someone were to take over as a leader or a CEO of a business or were to purchase an existing business, it's the same thing where you know, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but those same principles probably apply of take 90 days to just listen, learn, become assimilated before you start making changes or telling people, you know, how they should live or what they should do.
2: Uh, absolutely, I mean, it, it's, you have to build trust, you have to build uh, respect and those those things, those things take time. And, you know, in this fast paced world, uh, you know, maybe it's not, maybe it's not 90 days, maybe it's 30 days, you know, but wh- wh- whatever it is, you have to, I mean, that that's going to depend on the situation, but you have to show people that you're willing to invest that time to see where they're coming from. Because that, I mean, just to put it in another way from, from what I learned in Peace Corps and that I've seen again and again in every part of the world and every type of business is that you can't, it doesn't matter how good your solution are good your solutions are to whatever problem, if people aren't ready to listen, you know, put the politics into it if you want to. If people aren't ready to listen, it doesn't matter how good your case is, how good your facts are, they're not gonna listen, right? It doesn't matter. There's no objective, you know, saying it's not math, right? It's not two plus two is four. Done, all right, convince me. There's always shades of gray. And if you don't have the credibility where people are gonna be willing to say like, oh, huh, yeah, all right, that's smart. I'm willing to give that a try you're doomed to fail no matter how smart your idea is. Well, let me
0: me just hit you with something else because it's, you know, I think with technology, social media, um, you know, I think sometimes people abandon that people are people mantra and they think, oh, well, if I'm selling to people through digital ads or through Facebook, I can abandon the, you know, principles that have stood true for thousands of years. And in your experience of marketing your business and growing your brand, have you found that to be true, that you still need to treat people like people and you still need to meet them where they are?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think th- there's some some conflicting experiences there, right, that are a little hard to tease out. And I, I think a lot of people do take the wrong lesson from big data and from you know, the, the viral nature of, of marketing these days. Um, because, you know, the reality is that most of us in business or in life, you know, will never experience a truly viral moment. Um, you know, in, in the, we all know what viral explosions look like over the last year of 2020, right? And, you know, even <laughs> even when you're on Shark Tank, you know, that and that's not even truly, you know, on the level of some of these, you know, 14 year old TikTok stars that, that, you know, you're you're nowhere near that number of eyeballs. Um, even you know when you're on primetime Shark Tank these days, you just don't have that power uh, that it used to. Um, and so I think too many people take the lesson uh, from there of you know going extreme, going you know going to something you know to go totally crazy and neglect the connection to the human beings. And yeah, I mean, shock and awe and all that stuff works, but it has to come from a place where people can connect with it. And I think that's where a lot of those stunts fail or where a lot of those ads <laughs> fail, where they're just, you know, they're too based on big data. And if you squish all the people together into one stat, you know, then it doesn't actually represent any real people anymore. You have to take that, you know, use it as a as a, as a target, but then figure out how to soften the edges, how to how to, you know, round it out to make it fit real human beings. So
0: 2017, you end up on Shark Tank. How long had you been in business at that point, just so we can set the timeline? And then how did you end up getting on the show?
2: Yeah, it was, uh, it was quite a wild ride. So technically, I started the business in uh, mid 2014, about a year after I got back from, uh, from Peace Corps, you know, I was thinking I was Thinking about peaceful fruits, I was thinking about some other other opportunities, um, and uh, ultimately decided that you know I didn't want to work for somebody else. That I I, it, I wanted to start my own thing and really try to do things my own way. Um, and uh, but you know I was still I, I had a day job. You know I was working on it very very part time, very intermittently um, until uh, early 2016 was when I started to get a little bit serious about it. Um, you know, that's where I started to make saleable products. I went through a couple of, uh, you know, I did some early, you know, business incubators. And then ultimately I did a, uh, a social enterprise accelerator here in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, you know, to really put some structure to it um, and, you know, put, to, put together the, the business plan and, you know, just, just, to, just to really get serious about it. And uh, that accelerator culminated in a pitch contest as so many of them did, so many of them do. Where I was able to win uh, twenty thousand um, dollars, which we all know is both a lot of money and no money at all, um, <laughs> and uh, and then I leveraged that uh, to do a Kickstarter where we raised another twenty five thousand um, dollars, and you know so we had a we had a saleable product. It was in you know a couple dozen local stores, if that, uh, and we had about fifty web orders. From our website, Uh,
0: (laughs) so and that's always the question. That's always the question on Shark Tank. Fifty thousand, right? No, fifty. Right, (laughs) right, right. yeah. Fifty fruit
2: snacks. (laughs) Right. I remember. I remember Lori asked me that. She's like, dollars or units? Or I was like, no it's just fifty. I mean, like, you know, not like this is you know this is tiny um we were teeny tiny um yeah and i and, know four
0: and i know 45 of them they're my family
2: <laughs> right right probably right and the other the other five were from a you know local newspaper article that got random about me funny story <laughs> i'm actually still pen pals with uh, a wonderful little old lady that um saw that random newspaper article in the beacon akron beacon journal that i'm referencing where I, you know, talking about my, my crowdfunding campaign. And she wrote me a letter with a, you know, a $10 check in it or whatever it was. Uh, and I'm a chump. So I wrote back and we're still, we're still, still going back and forth <laughs> four years later. Cause she keeps writing back. So I have to keep writing back to her. You know, I'm a little slow sometimes, but I always, I always circle back to the wonderful lady. We actually got together and had lunch, you know, a little bit before the pandemic started. It was, it was really fun, but, um, but it's about, it's about human connection. Right. And that's, uh, and that's really where, where, like I was saying, in terms of ramping up to Shark Tank, uh, that's, that's when I decided to apply to Shark Tank. Was, you know, we, had just start, we had just won the pitch contest. We were just about to launch the, uh, the Kickstarter campaign. And so I was just figuring out how to you know, put together the message and, and the story and the product and everything else so that it, would, it could connect with people um, and at that point, I was doing a lot of in-store demos, you know, wh- where it's it's not glamorous, but if you're gonna be successful with a, with a consumer package good. You're gonna, you're gonna do that at some point, right? You're gonna stand behind a table and you're gonna explain your product to some people that are walking by and see if you can get them to buy it. It's gonna happen. Um, and in you know, some way, shape or form, it's gonna happen for every business, right? Uh, and so I was doing a lot of that in local grocery stores and, uh, just learning how to connect the product to people. And, uh, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing about my personality, take it for what you will. But a lot of those, uh, people that would walk by would be like, well, Hey, I mean, you should go on Shark Tank. This is great. (laughs) And, uh, you know, after the super useful advice, right. You're like, Oh, thanks. (laughs) Um, you know, after the hundredth person says that, and then, you know, you win a, a pitch contest for like, all right, I looked, you know, pretty decent on local access TV or whatever it was. Um, I think it was actually uh, the local NPR channel, not even TV, but um, that's why I'm audio only, you know, it's a uh, it's, uh, face made for radio. Um, but- <laughs> No, uh, come on. <laughs> but but anyway, anyway, so, you know, after getting that advice and, and really just working through the trenches of that messaging, I was like, "Well, why not?" And so I literally sent an email to Shark Tank Casting at yahoo.com. Uh, super legit, that's how it works, especially back then. Um, probably still the same. And uh, a week later they they uh, they called me back. Um, and I had, you know, caught them right at the end of the period where they were making the decisions. So they were like, you know, "Hey, we're we're uh, we're interested. Um, you know, fill out the application. You've got 3 days to do it." Um, you know, I was, cause I was right up against it, you know, here, fill out this 90 page thing. Uh, and, uh, and we'll go from there. But, uh, the, you know, the funny thing is that, I mean, it wasn't, there were a lot of hoops to jump through. There were a lot of, a lot of hoops to jump through. So I think the initial call was, you know, not quite like that. It was more that somebody literally called me up and said, you know, Hey, this is, this, this is shark tank. Uh, you know, are you Evan? Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm Evan. All right. Cool. Elevator pitch go. And I think I gave them my 30 seconds and then, they said, "Click, maybe we'll call you back. And then, you know, a couple of days later, they called me back and asked me to fill out the formal application.
0: And what was the experience like for you? I mean, were you, you know, you were so early on, but as you look back, are you happy with the way you pitched the product? Um, were you disappointed you didn't get a deal? You know, just walk us through that experience for you of actually being in, in the tank. It was, it
2: was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. Um, I, it, w- one of the most fun experiences I've had in my life again, I don't know if that's good things or bad things about me. Um, but, uh, well, yeah, I mean, j- just, from, from start to finish, I had a blast. Um, and I am incredibly proud of, uh, the, the pitch that I, that I, they gave and the, the conversation that I had with the sharks, you know, I, I, I left it all in the tank, so to speak. And I have no regrets. Uh, for how it worked out. And that, and that's for, for a couple of reasons that I'd love to tell you about. I mean, and the, and the main thing is, is that, you know, I am, not, I, I work hard to not always be the smartest person in the room, but like, I'm not a dummy. You know, I can say that. My, you know, my mom uh, tells me, must be true. Uh, you know, I went to school. I took some MBA classes. I can do the math at least, right? Like, you know, you do your homework on Shark Tank and uh, going into that pitch, I knew that we were, way too early stage on average for the type of you know for the type of company that we were you can find some easy similar companies and and, you know all the ones that they invested in were at least 10 times if not a hundred times bigger than where we were you know i mean i literally had under twenty thousand dollars in sales and you know most of that was to friends and families at the local flea market You, you know what i mean so um so there was no doubt that we were very early stage um and so the, the odds of getting a deal based on the financials, let's be honest, they were, they, they were crap, right? They were, they, were, they were very low. You know, I, I, I was not really a strong investment candidate, um, but that's where, you know, going back to that philosophy that we started the conversation with, people are people and you have to meet them where they are that was my, the same approach that I brought to that pitch. And I was really lucky because one of the shark tank producers in that, you know, process of, of, uh, jumping through all the hoops to get on the show. She really, she really did me a favor because she, she crystallized that for me in the, in the most shark tank of ways, which, you know, I, I, you know, you're going through all those hoops, you know, at one point she called me and like, all right, give me your two minute version of the elevator pitch. Go. And I give her the, you know, I give her the spiel and she's like, wow, Evan, that was a, that was a great pitch. Mm. And I'm just like, you can hear that butt. You know what I mean? Like, you can hear yeah. the butt coming. And I'm like, but she's like, if you do it like that, I'm never going to put you on TV. I was like, well, you just said it was a great pitch. Uh, and she was like, yeah, but am I an investor? Do I care if you get investment? Do I care if you give a great NBA pitch? Like, no, I make TV. My job is to keep people watching over the commercial break So that the station makes money and then my boss can win another Emmy, right? I was like, Oh, right. You can't, I can't sell you what I want to sell you. I have to sell you what you want to buy, right? I have to meet you where you are, figure out what your values are. And so how can I make a pitch that does all, you know, serves all these different masters. And that's where, you know, that really crystallized it for me. So I, I really sat down hard. I did the homework. And I figured out what my three goals were going to be for that shark tank pitch. And I'll, and I'll lay them out for you. You know, the first one is that, all right, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be talking to a lot of different audiences. I'm talking to the producers, I'm talking to the editors. I'm, you know, all the people that are behind the camera. Right. And then I'm talking to the sharks, right. The people that are right there with me in front of the camera. And then finally, and perhaps most importantly, in some ways, I'm talking to all the people through the camera that are there at home. And they all have different things, different different things that they want to hear. So that's where it's so important that I think about what do I want to tell them? What are my goals? And so the first goal was very simply, I want just to, you know, first and least important, but still still first, is I need to tell them who I am. I need to show them who Evan Benjamin Delahanty is, because I want to be I want to be proud of the performance that I give. I want to prove to myself and to everyone at home that whatever happens, I belong on a stage this big. And that was my first goal. I want I want to I want to I want to I want to impress people with who I am. And then number two, I want to introduce them to the idea to the the product to the the business that is Peaceful Fruits. I want to ex- I want people to understand you know, why healthy mission-based fruit snacks ought to be a thing. And even even if I'm not the guy that makes it, I want, you know, I, there's a gap in the market here and maybe, you know, Daniel Lubinsky of Kind Bar will fill it instead of me, whatever, I don't care. But this is a real opportunity that I found that I'm working on. And I want people to understand that and understand why peaceful fruits can be the one that fills that gap. And then third, and in some ways the most important because, you know, everything else is a little bit ephemeral, you know, it comes and goes. But third and perhaps most important is I have this opportunity. You know, This may be my most 15 minutes of fame, whatever that I ever get. What do I want to tell people when I have that platform? And it was to educate the sharks and the people at home about what social enterprise mission-based business really is. To, to explain this concept that so many people, especially three or four years ago, were just starting to hear about. So they understand that this is a smart, you know, right, good way to do business that can change the way that we interact with capitalism to make it better for everybody. And that's what it was about. It was, you know, from starting with the smallest me to the bigger, my company, and then finally to the whole approach to business that I'm dedicated to. That's what I wanted to educate people about. And that's what I crafted the message around to meet each of those different stakeholders so that they would take home those messages, whatever happened, investment or not.
1: You know, Evan, to, to me at least, your the way you presented yourself, the confidence level, obviously, you've got feedback from any of the sharks. Too much competition, you're too small, it's too early. We get that. But your confidence level was fantastic. I have a question for you that, that while I was watching, uh, I think it was uh, Mark Cuban talked about his opinion was that the social cause, and I'm going to say it in my own words, was too far out in front of your brand and i just wondered did you think that was a viable comment uh, did it resonate with you
2: I, I i think so yeah i mean it's 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 always a balancing act right and that's that's really the struggle uh for um i mean and we we face this every day in the office in the kitchen you know in the in the at the whiteboard at peaceful fruits it's always a struggle between the food has to be good um and the story has to be good. It's got to be both. And uh, you know, I, I think to to you know Mark's point is that it's it's summed up in, in. I think Kevin O'Leary really summed it up the best, which when he said, you know, it's got to sell itself, right? You know, that's I think that's the that's just a more succinct way of say, of Mark's Mark's side is like, you know, it, it's got to sell itself. You're not going to have room. You're not going to have time to sell all this story. You know, it, it, you don't have time, you have 0.3 seconds of someone's walking down the grocery store or scrolling by on their phone. How do you pack all that into it? It's hard. Um, and so I, I think him being cognizant of that balancing act is, is 100% right. Um, and, you know, h- how you address that on any given day, whether I'm too far this way or too far that way, you know, depends on, depends on the day and the project and every, and, and the, the marketing campaign and everything else. So I'm not gonna disagree with him because I think the, the, it's an important question to ask yourself every single day that you're in this because the problem is you can have great food but if nobody ever picks it up then uh they're never gonna you know they're never gonna buy it right and you can have great marketing but then after they pick it up once if the food sucks they're never gonna buy it again so you you know you just gotta have both
0: what have you done to be successful in telling your story
2: so, I mean, that's, as I said, that's something that we are that we still work on every day um, because that's the, the most, I mean, that's the most critical thing to success is constantly thinking about that. And I, I think there's been two things that we've done and are continuing to do that serve us well. You know, one is continually, continually, continually refining that message to make it more and more succinct. So if you go on, you know, if you, if you listen to Shark, if you watch Shark Tank, then our, our message has, you know, acai. It has, you know, acai is the main ingredient. It has, uh, you know, a lot of rainforest, a lot of, a lot of, you know, connecting back to the Amazon. And then it has people with disabilities and then it has no sugar added. And then it has real fruit. You know, there's all of these different things that, you know, larger, much, much larger brands have been able to take just one of those and run with it to, to success, right? And, in, and the reality is that if you're trying to do everything, then you end up doing nothing. And so, you know, little by little, as you look at our packaging evolution, our messaging evolution over, over you know, the years, we pair back those messages to try to distill it into the single most compelling thing. And so, you know, we still focus in on real fruit and no added sugar, but less and less do we, do we focus on the Amazon uh, and, you know, the, the Peace Corps and the rainforest connection, because it just doesn't fit as we get into more and more, fla- you know, more flavors and more, more people, you know, the, the rainforest, I love the rainforest, but that doesn't resonate with people, especially when they're eating a strawberry fruit snack you know, I and mean? it just like that it does, it, there's, it's not a clear jump. And so you have to focus in on the messages that are clear and easily digestible. So really getting succinct and focused and just razor you know, even when it hurts, when like you think it's the most important thing, but if consumers, if people aren't agreeing, then you got to let it go because it's not resonating. Um, or, you that, just that don't even,
0: or you just don't even have the time to tell them the story. I mean, you, you know, you, you can exactly tell them a 30 minute story, but they're not going to read a 30 minute story on the back of a label while they're trying to get through Whole Foods. <laughs>
1: what did we learn from that copyright?
2: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's... uh. You just can't, you just can't make, you can't do it. So that, that, that was a bit, the big one is just really trying to refine, refine, refine. And yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're gonna cut bones. It's, you're gonna cut the things that you love that are so important to you, but it doesn't matter. I, I you know, I always say that, that at the end of the day, I don't want to be the one buying my product. So I can't only put the things in that are important to me. Um, That's the, rea- that's the reality. Uh, and then I think, you know, the, the other thing is just really focusing you know, it's, it's, it's the succinct message, but then it's, it's, again, it's really focusing on connecting to people. Right. So we've invested well, pre COVID, you know, we've invested a lot in brand ambassadors in you know, events in those types of things where we do have a great story, every opportunity to tell that story, whether it's a podcast or a speaking engagement or uh, you know, a brand ambassador. You know, some some cute college kid handing out free samples and, and engaging with you for 30 seconds. Um, you know, those human interactions are really critical to us because, unlike so many other brands, we you know we don't have anything to hide. We really have to leverage that.
0: If uh, Blake McCoskey of Tom's or Daniel Lubinsky of kind Bar, if either of them had been uh, on the stage, do you think that you may have gotten a deal, or was it just too early, no matter who was there?
2: I, I think it was too early, um, and you know, and in the, you know, I, I was there for for forty five minutes to an hour. You know, you get five to six minutes or whatever it was edited down to. Uh, you know, I I can tell you that we got much closer to a deal with Lori uh, than, than it looked like on TV. Um, and you know, if I, if I'm being completely honest with you, I think in some ways our best case scenario was to just miss a deal, um, to make compelling television. Right. You know, cause that, that's what kept you watching over the ad break. Right. Is, you know, here's this, you know, here's this young, clean cut, good looking guy, you know, uh, doing things right. Uh-huh. Uh, at least that's what <laughs> my mom says, uh, you know, but no, but here, you know, here, here's this person trying to do things the right way. He's, you know, he's small, he's new. Will one of the sharks take him under his wing? Check it out. That, that's the pitch, right? For the, that's the, the teaser for the episode. Um, and so to lay out that story for them, you know, it, it had, it, it had if, it, if it were a slam dunk, and Daniel Levinsky was like, well, yeah, man, this makes perfect sense. I'm going to, I don't want to invest. I want to buy you right now. We'll roll it into kind bar and we'll launch a, you know, a pure fruit fruit snack under the kind label done. You know, then it, they wouldn't have aired that because it would have been boring. Um, if it were a slam dunk, it would have been boring. Um, and so uh, I think that's, that's one piece of it. The other piece, you know, specifically to your question is, yeah, we, we, to, right and where I really respect Kevin O'Leary um you know a lot of this made it onto the into the edited version but there was a lot more in terms of the back and forth conversation with him which I I have to respect the guy um because he caught up in in you know about five minutes flat which that's how I judge people by the way in in business conversations is I think about peaceful fruits every single day you know I think about our problems our challenges all day every day late into the night uh, and the faster that you can catch up, that's what I respect you for, right? Like you don't have to, you, you know, if you can get to zero in, in you know, in a day or a minute or whatever it is, then I'm, I'm impressed, right? Um, and then actually be useful after you get past that zero. And Kevin, he caught up very quickly. He was like, you know, hey, Evan, you are early. You came in with a reasonable ju- uh, valuation based on where you are today and the potential, but based, you know, you can't justify a higher valuation, or I would laugh you out of the tank. But because this is the highest you can reasonably, you know, sell to me, you also can't ask for enough money to actually make a difference. So $75,000 to help you, you know, build production pa- capacity, build a brand, you know, I was asking for 75k, like, it's just not enough money, you know, you're going to need 10 times that, or more or, or 100 times that to, re- to do this right. And you can't justify asking me for that much more, you know, you you can't justify the valuation that, and that doesn't mean you're not going to get there. It means that this is not the right forum and I'm not the right kind of investor and and I'm not the right timing to do, to, to make this kind of deal. You know, you need an angel investor you need a pitch contest, you need an accelerator, you know, all of those more early stage tools, which sharks are not for this type of business. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, we, and that's exactly what we then did is we turned around and used the data from that sales the, you know, the sales that we got out of the Shark Tank episode, we used all of that to then turn and, you know, sell the idea, pitch it to angel investors, where we could raise money on a appropriate valuation for, you know, longer term, more patient money, um, and, and do it right. So give us the update then, you know, what
0: happens immediately after you aired? How does life change? How does the business change? And then what's happened in the four plus years since?
2: Yeah, boy, it's been a been a been a wild ride, um, and uh, definitely a lot of a lot of a lot of learning along the way. It's been it's been a, a, a great experience. Um, so, you know, a, as I said, uh, when I filmed with Shark Tank, uh, and I think it was like late August of or early September of 2016, <clears throat> and uh, at that point, yeah, I mean, literally, you know, under twenty thousand dollars in sales. Uh, you know, a, a couple dozen web orders, if that. Um, and then around six months later is when it actually aired, right? So it aired almost exactly four, four, uh, four years ago, 2017, February of 2017. I think it was February 10th, something like that. We're, we're, we're yeah, we're almost, right? Almost to the day. Um, and uh, so, we, yeah, we literally had 50 or so web orders by that point. And, uh, you know, I had a watch party with my, with my closest friends, you know, 50 of my closest friends, um, and, uh, back in the days when you could do that, you remember that? You invited um, everyone
0: that had ordered the product off your website. That's right.
2: That's right. <laughs> VIP, VIP. Um, and, uh, and, and in some, way it's funny because my girlfriend at the time, now my fiance, um, you know, she, she remarked to that we, it's funny. We actually started dating, uh, just before, I, I filmed Shark Tank. So, like, I couldn't really tell her about it, you know, because we'd only been dating for like a week at that point. <laughs> um, but uh, but already, you know, she,
1: already keeping secrets.
2: <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, fortunately, it worked out because she, she went and hiked Machu Picchu during that time. So, I didn't have to, you know, I didn't have to dodge too many hard questions. So, um, but uh, but, you know, she's like, Evan, you're more nervous, you know, for this watch party than you are for the pitch, you know, like, what the hell? And I was like, well, the pitch I have control of, right? Like, I did my homework. I, you know, I know, I know who I am. I know what I'm gonna do, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave it all on the field. But who the hell knows how they're gonna edit it, right? I mean, that's the problem: is that you get no forewarning, you get no, you know, viewing it ahead of time. Like, I have zero input into how that episode is gonna look. Um, so I just don't know, right? They could just zoom in on the, that one time that I scratched my butt. Uh, and put that on loop for five minutes if they thought that was the best, you know. um, And so I I was, I was super nervous, um, but. Of social enterprise, um, you know, I laid out a path of re- least resistance for the producers and the editors and everyone, and then they followed it, right, fortunately. Um, and so it, it, you know, became a, a very, I, I know, I, I mean, I, I'd love to hear what you guys thought, but it was a very positive, heartwarming episode where, you know, yeah, we didn't do a deal, but everyone finished that f- five minutes or whatever it was feeling good and, and, you know, and ready for the next set of challenges. Um, And so, you know, at that point, I, you know, we were on Squarespace uh, and I literally had, you know, because we got so few, I had a ding set up on my phone so that every time I got an order, I would get a ding, you know, like once a week or whatever it was. Uh, And I, you know, my phone was on the table where, you know, next to the projector or whatever, where we were all watching the episode and, you know, 10 seconds, whatever it was, 90 seconds in, that phone started to ding so violently that it was literally walking across the table. <laughs> um, and so we got over a thousand orders uh, in the five minutes that I was on TV. Um, oh. And yeah. Uh, and so, you know, just to, 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 can take you minute by minute, but to just to jump ahead a little bit, you know, we spent the next four to six months fulfilling those orders because, you know, especially if you, if you don't get a deal, even if you do to a degree, but especially if you don't get a deal, this is the, you know, the unglamorous side of Shark Tank is you're, you're, you're bound by an NDA. You have no, uh, you know, foreknowledge. You know, you get like a week and a half's notice for, for when you're going to air. And before that, you don't even actually know if it's going to air, right? Like they may not choose to use the footage. They If they do, you don't know if it's going to make you look good or not. You don't know when it's going to happen and you're bound by an NDA. So, you, you know, you can't go to regular investors yet. You can't go to banks, right? What are you going to do? Like you walk into a, a Chase Bank and be like, hey, so I can't tell you what TV show. I can't tell you if I'm actually going to be on it. And I can't tell you when I might be on it if I were. And it's also really hard to, pro- to, to project how much, you know, what my sales spike would be. But can I have a hundred grand to start building inventory? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> nobody says yes to that pitch, right? Um... And so, you know, we prepared as much as we could with the resources we had, um, but uh, we just were not prepared um, and and couldn't be. But, uh, you know, that was where I think we did a really good job of communicating with people, of connecting with people, of explaining, making people part of the success story um, so that they understood, you know, hey, you're 1247th in line. And uh, I know that sucks for you, but here's a picture of the three additional you know, adults with down syndrome that we just hired, they're helping us make them faster than we were last week. You know, he, here are the, the, you know, the kids in the Amazon that just sent us a pallet of acai to help us make the snacks that are just for you, you know, and, and having that ongoing communication. So, I mean, our, our cancellation ratio ended up being, I think it was under 3%. It may have even been, been around It was around 1%. I mean, it was a super low cancellation ratio. Um, you know, and, and literally some people waited four months to get their snacks.
1: That's amazing. Given that it took you four to six months to get everything fulfilled, that that just that tells me that people love the brand, they love the story, and you you've started. That was the seeds of a very loyal uh, fan base and consumer base.
2: Absolutely, yeah. And and from there, we've just been little by little trying to to build on that. Um, And so you know, I started with you know truly an MVP. You know what I showed to the sharks was two flavors that looked the same tasted the same and uh, you know we were we're in a in a plastic bag with a sticker on it um and you know over the course of 2017 uh you know we went from two flavors in crap packaging to you know eight professional flavor you know flavors in, in professionalized you know truly tr- you know in professional packaging um you know that i had not designed myself in microsoft publisher um and, uh, you know, and so to, to uh, a, full, a full offering that actually could, you know, work on short store shelves. Um, and then to be honest, I mean, like, I think I've just made every mistake in the book since then. And just uh, I'm just too dumb to quit. Right. Uh, too stubborn. So, um, you know, that that first year, I mean, those first four months, like, I mean, we I, I I'm more of an operations guy. And so I figured out the way to, like, maximize our production. Um, and it meant doing, uh, essentially we could flip a batch every 22 hours. Um, because that's what I do is I do fruit dehydration, which basically it takes at least 12 hours, uh, for the fruit to dry the way that we do it. You know, this is not pop them in the oven. 40 minutes later, you've got cookies. Um, and so what I I figured out is that if I, you know, double stuffed the ovens, essentially, I could, you know, it would take 80% longer, but I would get out double the output, right? So I was, I just double stuffed the ovens and instead of taking 12 to 14 hours, it took 20 to 22 hours to, you know, to, to get out that, that batch, but the math works in your favor, right? But just, just think about that for a minute. If you're on a 20 to 22 hour operational cycle, not only are you getting, you know, is it, is it, is it, is it shit? <laughs> you know, every day, but like, but it moves every single day. So like on Monday, you put the batch in at 2 a.m. On Tuesday, you put the batch in at 4 a.m. You know what I mean? Like it just gets, or <laughs> the other way, but it just gets worse and worse because it moves every single day. and I did that for three months. Um, when did so you it screw was up? <laughs> yeah. I don't, I, <laughs> I don't know. Um, not much. Um, I, and I, and that was where, you know, it made it really fun to connect with consumers is because we would get those angry phone calls. And I, you know, I jokingly say that I, I, I never apologized. I, my goal was always to make them apologize to me by the end of the call. Um, and I was pretty good at it. Actually, actually, if I'm being, it was pretty funny, you know, I, like I remember getting a call from an angry consumer at four o'clock in the morning and I picked up, you know, I was on my drive home from putting in that batch of and she's like, Oh, I, I thought I'd get a voicemail. I was like, no, I mean, I'm here. What, you know, what do you need? She's Like, well, where's my order? I saw you on Shark Tank like two months ago. And I was like, I'm re- I'm working on it. What number are you? Uh, you know, you're this many <laughs> X week, X weeks out. I just got back from putting the batch in, you know, like I'm driving home. I just put in another thousand snacks, like, you know, and she just heard the exhaustion in my voice. She was like, All right, I can tell that you're really working at this. I'm glad you're taking the time, you know, to do it right. You haven't, you know, gone away from the adults with disabilities and start, you know, shipped it off to Mexico or something. So don't worry, I'll be patient. No worries, you know? <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, and, 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 that's where, so we really spent the next year or two on And that's where in terms of, you know, learning and, and mistakes and everything else, that's where we had a lot of, a lot of ground to cover is to really scale and professionalize our production where, you know, obviously that wasn't sustainable. So I was just cranking out of, you know, these, these four little machines and then I had, so I had to put together a plan and the funding and everything else to, to increase our capacity. So, I mean, we spent the next year essentially cranking like that, where I just couldn't, that's why tech is always better. You can make, in tech, you can sell more than you can make, or at least you can make a lot because it's just control, control V, right? Um, control C. Um, but, uh, but in, in food, you can't sell more than you have. And so, I mean, we sold as much as we could produce uh, in 2017. And then we sold as much as we could produce in 2018. And then we sold as much as we could produce in 2019. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it took us a lot of time to figure out how to ramp up production enough that we could, you know, become a sustainable and a growing business and really start to fulfill our promise as a brand. And, you know, that's where we finally were able to, to put together a production facility um, in late well, yeah, in mid 2019, where we could start to really ramp up production, and you know, put in the you know the the equipment and the staffing and everything else uh, to to start to really to really grow this into something you know su- sustainable and that has potential to be a national brand, um, and that's where you know I, I'm not going to say I underestimated it because I knew there was a lot to do there, but it definitely took more time and money than I than I anticipated, just because. Uh, this is an opportunity. There's not a lot of people doing it the way that we do. And that means that there's no one you can ask the questions for how do I do this? And how do I do it 10 times bigger, better, faster than I'm doing it right now? Nobody knows. So we've had to invent that as we've gone, because we're just kind of doing a unique thing in terms of the way that we make our fruit snacks.
0: So three quick ones for you. Number one is what does the future hold for the business? You know, as you look 12 to 18 months out, what are you trying to accomplish?
2: So it's, it's really zeroing in on all the things that we're talking about where um, we want to continue to innovate and we want to continue to, to, to do a better and better job of connecting with people. And so for us, it really, it really does, you know, Mark Cuban is right. It does have to be product first. And what I think uh, is important there is it's product, not you know, not just as the physical, the bite of the product but that overall, presenta- the packaging, the presentation, just the connection to that product on the shelf. And so for us, we are, are launching over the next next uh, couple of months here, we're launching uh, expanded and all new product line uh, that really focuses more on fun and, uh, and excitement and to a certain degree nostalgia uh, to really connect people to, you know, the fruit snacks and the, you know, the, the, the fruit candies, whatever of, of their youth that we all remember and that we want to offer our kids, but that, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't buy those for your kids on a regular basis because the ingredient list is such crap. Um, and so we're really trying to, to innovate and get away from doing, you know, just fruit with a story and having the product really tell its own story by making the product itself more fun, more exciting, and more, know just by the very form and nature of it something that people resonate with more than they can with no matter how delicious and healthy more than they can with a basic rectangle that we make today
0: and i can probably take a guess as to what that's going to (laughs) be um two two quick ones i where can people find you and find the product okay so where can they follow you on social media and then where's the best place for them to go to buy to buy the product
2: yeah, absolutely. So we're on, uh, you know, Peaceful Fruits is where it's at. We, so on, on Instagram, on, on Facebook, uh, we're not super active on Twitter, TikTok, whatever. We're not cool enough. But uh, but yeah, I mean, jump, jump, on our, jump on our newsletter, hear about some of these cool new things that we're doing. Um, and, uh, you know, and you'll be the first to know about this new, the new stuff that we're getting ready to launch uh, very, very shortly here, which is, I mean, we're super excited about it really just, you know, updating the, uh, some of these items that just haven't, haven't changed in decades and are so ripe, uh, for this, you know, that humans first fruit first real often authentic fruit only ingredients first, uh, that, that to give them the treatment they deserve. Um, so yeah, definitely jump on the social media, jump on the, the, uh, the newsletter, uh, the email list. Um, and then for now, I mean, you know, we, we're not, we're not national with any of the major stores yet because we, you know, hadn't had the uh, production capacity prior 2020. And we didn't obviously try to push into grocery in 2020 because COVID, so we've just remained focused online. And so that means, you know, give Jeff his cut and uh, get some on Amazon Prime, (laughs) order it today, get it tomorrow and leave us a five-star review. And then final question,
0: what can entrepreneurs learn from your story, your journey, your experience?
2: I think the there's there's two things and the one is find what it is that that excites you and how it excites other people and then start trying to build those connections whether it's you know the connections with the people that are doing what you want to do or the connection between your solution and those people you just have to start you just have to you know get behind that table and start handing out samples or start going to going to those pitch meetings or whatever it is you just have to start. And then this the second thing is, and I think this is this is where we've learned a lot over the last couple of years, is once you start, you have to prepare for success. I think that's where one of the things where I was a lot slower than I than I might have been is I just didn't have the experience. I didn't have the the resources set up so that we could respond as quickly as we could have to to that success, to that momentum coming off of Shark Tank, you know. Yeah, there are good reasons why it took us four months to fulfill, but that's still a huge opportunity that's missed. So you have to be, you have to be ready for that home run. You have to be, you have to be ready and you have to be able to move fast. So start starting and be ready for success.
0: Well, we so appreciate your time and what a, what a great interview. What awesome lessons to be learned from, from your story. We appreciate everything that you shared with us. Thank you so
2: much for joining us, Evan. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. It was great to great to chat with you.
1: Post game. Let's do it. All I'm all right. fired up. Got my coffee. My Good. fourth cup of the day. Okay, I've got uh, three things. Okay. Uh, first and foremost, he's worked really hard to clean up his message. And mm-hmm. this is something we know. We're still working on it. We work on it every day. Yep. Work on it for us. We work on it for others. Clean up the message. You have to... You, you have to clean up the message so it's very succinct, it's very clear for your audience, and he gets that. So that's something he's worked on. Um, the other thing he said was a small thing, but I picked up on it, he said always when you're talking with someone, listen first. And I think what he means by that is understand where a person you're communicating with, whether it be a client, uh, whether it be a, um, uh, a someone who works on your team or staff listen to them first understand where they're coming from first before you run your mouth and I think in the process of communication uh, a type personality <laughs> even great leaders can go out and they blast they explode they're very verbose I'm very verbose but stop and listen first and understand where someone's uh, coming from, and then he said, You know, you have to meet people where they're at. Yep, and I think that's uh, critical. And the last thing I took away was that, and, and a lot of people have a great story today yeah. <laughs> with their brand. Uh, you have to have a great story, but you have to have a great product also. Yep. So you have to work on the product, make sure those deliverables are you know, excellent, and then a
0: great story with it, and that's magic. Yeah, the food and the story. Both have to be good. is what I wrote down. Yep. You know, you got to have both those things. Tell your story. Um, find what excites you. You know, so what gives you passion? What gives you energy? And you know, I've shared it on here before, and I've certainly told you. Um, you know, I'm I'm having more fun now than I've ever had. You know, and I think it's that alignment of what do I really enjoy doing? What gives me energy? And so you've got to figure that out for you. I I can't imagine being an entrepreneur. In an area or a field that kind of excites you. I mean, this this stuff's tough enough as it is. Yeah. So if you don't love it and love what you're doing and love the impact you're having and love the product and love the story, I mean, if those things don't align, it's 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 a really grind. big. It, yeah, it's, it's a, a really, grind anyway. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. Really big uphill battle. Um, tell people who you are. I thought that was really interesting. Um, knowing everyone you're talking to, so if you're talking to investors or you're talking to consumers or you're talking to um, whoever's producing the product, you really need to know who you're talking to, understand them, listen to them, learn from them, do your homework. What's one of our biggest pet peeves? When we get on a call with somebody, and they- oh, I know nothing about you. Well. You couldn't take a minute to look at our LinkedIn, look at our company, look at what we do. You couldn't have taken 30 seconds to do that. And I just, I would never go into a phone call, a Zoom call, a meeting and go, I don't know why I'm here, or I don't know what you do, or I know nothing about you. And I I just, I can't fathom that, but obviously half the people that we talk to probably are like that to a certain degree. But can (coughs) you imagine going into Pitch Investors and going, I don't know anything about your fund. I don't know what type of companies you invest in. I don't know what you're looking for. I haven't looked at your background or credentials. I mean, it's sloppy it um, shows a lack of preparation and you may miss a huge opportunity because hey whoever's sitting at the head of the table that's in charge of this investment fund that you're pitching to you went to the same college or you grew up in the same hometown or there's some commonality uh, oh hey Steelers you know Pittsburgh I mean you can change the entire dynamic of a you know what could be a really tough pitch just by finding some you know and, it's, and it's, it's so
1: easy. Oh. Everything is out there. I mean, Al Gore invented something called the interweb. Have you been on this? I have. Yeah. I have. And So everything's out there. There's really no excuse
0: for it. Go Don't on, be lazy. Go on LinkedIn. I mean, so yeah. we're talking 30 seconds. So I thought that was really good too. Um, yeah, we just talked a lot about communication. And um, I, yeah, again, a really, really good interview. A lot, a lot of different takeaways than maybe we've heard. And so the communication, the preparation of, of communicating with people, um, telling your story, communicating your brand, um, hey, you can have the greatest product in the world, but your story really, really needs to be strong. And it needs to be authentic. It can't be fabricated. It can't be made up. It's got to really be genuine. But you know, who do we love buying products from? Who do we gravitate towards? We gravitate towards those entrepreneurs that are passionate about the problem they're solving, that really do have a great story and will go out of our way to buy that product. We'll pay a premium for that product. We'll proudly tell our friends about that product, right, if there is some meaning to it. Yeah. So great interview, uh, great takeaways. And uh, as always, if there's anything Joe and I can do, you can actually book a call with us uh, on OutsideTheTank.com. If you've got a business or an idea or want our perspective on anything, we are always here to help you. And we're not very smart, but we're extremely entertaining. We are, yeah. So if you just want to have a good laugh, jump on a call with us and you can hear us make fun of each other. So (laughs) hope you enjoyed this. We'll see you again next week on an all-new episode of Outside the Tank.